What's Shaken Parkinson's podcast, where we explore information to learn about and to offer you a bi-weekly insight into the world of Parkinson's disease. Thanks for joining. Hi, Frank. How you doing, bud? I'm good, thanks. You? I'm doing great. We're doing great. We just finished up um, number 10, I believe. Number 9. Number 9. Number 9. Number 9. Number 9. Number 9. remember that. Yeah. Um, I think we had a good uh, first session. I thought so. Um, are you know, We're going to come to uh, the end of our first season after one more after this, um, which uh, I hope will be Brian and Brenda. We need to get Brenda in here to complete that. Yes, we'll do that. And then... Um, not like we'll take a break. Our normal gap between sessions is two weeks. Maybe we take one more just to formulate. Uh, but to just to summarize for everyone, we've gone through um, many medical experts, many people in the science field. And um, as we move through this, uh, next uh, season we'll focus more on in the home, um, people that can help you um, with your living situation. And out of the home uh, exercise places you can go yes. to uh, that are non-specifically you know, doctoral. Yeah, it's all very important, which um, which would be good. But as we know, you know, when you get involved with something, it always takes us down another road. Oh yeah, yeah. but that's fun. That, that that's just that's yeah. Just, yeah. And the more roads we have to go, the more seasons we get to put up. There you go. There you go. <laughs> always an optimist. Yeah. Uh, some interesting connections to this one. So uh, I'll say the uh, the next guest. Um, is a geneticist. Uh, so we have kind of, you'll see a lot of tie-ins to, to some of our other interviews. Um, the most obvious one on this is the name. Um, he is Steve McCallie, and last episode, coincidentally, we did Dan McCallie. Um, yes, they are related. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, they're both in the science field. Um, some other things that, uh, in between those two sessions, I noticed, um, Steve did bring up, uh, as we, we will talk broadly and, and specifically about a lot of genetic things in here. Um, and I'm curious in many cases about how, uh, what things connect your, your lifestyle to your genetic, uh, probabilities. Okay. And, um, one of them that Steve brought up is uh, dealt with alcoholism. Um, coincidentally, you know, Dan had a session that was focused on addiction. Right. Uh, and, and alcoholism specifically. Uh, another connection I, uh, you'll hear is Steve talks about mitochondria, which Ray Griffiths spoke mm-hmm. a lot in, of how, you know, your diet affects your mind, Absolutely. Your, your body, uh, and your aging process. And, uh, Steve also, uh, one of the connections he made to previous episodes is um, how COVID uh, and uh, depression are connections in there. Yes. Uh, as did, if you recall, Diane Breslow, the uh, social worker that we had spoken with. Yes, previously. yes, yes, she, she, she did. Way she, back in episode five, I think. Yeah, I, I don't think it was five because... Um, Maybe because four. We, yeah, yeah, it was about that. But yeah, you know, just just you know, it correlates, and, and they're all going to correlate a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, very broad field. Um, you know, we we started looking real specifically at what is Parkinson's, how does it affect the mind, how does it affect the body. As we were seeing, it's a very complex, uh, as complex as the mind is, is how broad and interconnected all of the consequences and uh, and issues that go along with Parkinson's can be. Yeah, yeah. We, we picked a good subject. Uh, it goes a lot of different ways. Sure. And it's all necessary out there. For, you know, we need to discuss it all. And uh, again, we're not doctors. You know, I'll, I'll do our... Uh, you know, <laughs> disclaimer. Do, I just disclaimer, we're not doctors. We're not telling you to go. But you know, we got some surprises for um, for next season. Sure. And um, we always do, and um, keep on going with it for as long as it takes us. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we will. Um, as we said, we'll get into some of those um, those things that you can do for your your health, uh, outside the home, inside the home. Um, how you've mentioned rock steady boxing multiple times, as have a couple of our guests, uh, and we'll have an interview coming up next season with the uh, with the um, franchisee for rock steady. Yes, boxing. we will. Yeah, she'll be good. Yeah. She'll, 
So that, that, that's, that's exciting. Good. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to this interview and hearing um, some things about genetics, about genes. Uh, I've always been curious about the probabilities of, of you, know, you look at a blonde person and a, and a redhead and, and, you know, what, what are the offspring going to be? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are yeah, they blends? Are they one of each? <laughs> well, we could, we, could, we could try and put out a master racer and see what happens. <laughs> That's been attempted uh, unsuccessfully so far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so enjoy uh, Steve, uh, Dr. Stephen McCauley, as you'll hear me introduce him and him kind of want to downplay that, but he put the time through, went to medical school, got his PhD. Yeah, he and, deserves it. And yeah, let's not uh, devalue. Um, not at all. That not education at all. Education and that knowledge base good, is. Good, smart guy. Absolutely. So enjoy, everybody. Talk to you afterwards. Welcome to the What's Shaken Parkinson's podcast. Uh, this is episode eight, nine. We're just cruising along. And today we've got Dr. Stephen McCalley. Um, Steve, it's a pleasure to have you joining Hal and I for the uh, podcast, and we appreciate Welcome, having you. Well, thank you guys for having me. And, uh, you know, I always, I was telling myself in my head that I, the first thing out of my mouth would be what's shaking guys. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't, I forgot to do that immediately. Um, because I was thrown off by you calling me Dr. Stephen McCallie. So, uh, <laughs> feel free to just call me Steve throughout the, <laughs> throughout thank the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you've had some actual real medical doctors on your podcast. So, um, you know, I, I always feel a little guilty whenever people put <laughs> doctor in front of my name. I feel like they've earned it more than I have. Um, but uh, I'll take the PhD at the end. But awesome. um, I, the, the, the doctor in the beginning is, is a whole different animal for me. Uh, so, Steve, we thought we'd um, get into just some, some general background. Uh, you can let us know kind of how you got into this field. Why you, uh, I should let our audience know first that you are a geneticist, um, that you study genetics at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, where you are in both your undergrad and graduate degrees. And um, you can uh, please let us know, you know how, how you selected this field, um, how long you know, your interest has been in it, uh, and sure. um, kind of you know, what has led you into the position you're currently with and the company you're currently with, and let us know all about that. Yeah, sure. You know, another thing that I had told myself when you had asked me to be on this podcast is that I would also start with uh, two important disclaimers. And one is that you, the two of you usually make the disclaimer that you are not medical doctors and you this cannot give any medical advice. So again, going back to that whole ta uh, talk about doctor versus PhD, I am not a medical doctor. Um, so I, I, I cannot tell you any medical advice. I think it's actually quite illegal for me to attempt to give you any medical advice. So I, I won't be doing any of that today. Um, and the other uh, important disclaimer, so you mentioned about the company that I currently work for. So I'll talk about that in, in a moment. But I, of course, want to mention that, um, you know, the topics and in, in my opinions and everything that we talk about here today are, of course, uh, no reflection of the company I, I work for, Riata Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> I want to just say that now um, that, you know, we're, we're going to be talking hopefully very general. Um, and I don't really want to get into some of their, uh, I don't want the legal team uh, <laughs> riding me or anything. Sure. And, and again, we are here more to talk about genetics and any links to Parkinson's, any links to neurological diseases. So, you know, it wouldn't, we wouldn't go down that path of, sure. uh, of where your career currently is and what you currently sure. do, but please, why don't you please share what you yeah. do for a, for a living and, and um, yeah, what your day-to-day -day, uh, job is like. Totally. Yeah. So let's go back and, and let me answer your, your first question for you and why I got into genetics. And there's really like two answers um, to that question. And the first is more of a personality, more of a vague answer to that question. And that is that, you know, I've always been very curious about how things uh, are built, how things are put together. I was the kid who would take things apart and put it back together. I had Legos and, and connects growing up and that kind of thing. And when you think about the field of genetics, so your DNA and your genetics are really just the instruction manual for how to create a human. And so that's something that's always resonated with me, but from more of a professional standpoint, why I got into genetics when I was in college and when I was actually looking for colleges, I went to the University of Pittsburgh, as you mentioned, because they had such a robust uh, medical school, 
there. UPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, is really highly regarded uh, throughout the country. Uh, certainly one of the top medical schools in the country, especially you know one of the top non-Ivy League medical schools. So that was where I wanted to go. And then when I went there, kind of a funny story, my sophomore year, I had like five or six gallstones. So I had, I had stones in my gallbladder. And uh, when I went to the hospital, they told me it's nothing. It's fine. It's an ulcer. You have acid reflux. Get, get on out of here. And I told them, no, this is a genetic thing. My mom, everyone in my family has had their gallbladder taken out. Wow. And um, yeah. So, you know, then it got to a point where I had to get my gallbladder removed and they were really confused because they call it the four or five F's when you have to get a gallbladder removed. Patients are typically uh, fair, female, fat, 40, and had a few kids. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, some of those terms are not very appropriate. This was, this was about 10 or 11 years ago. And, the, and the, this is something the nurse told me. I don't think it's in any medical books. Um, but, you know, so when I got my gallbladder taken out by actually who was a, a family friend, I told him, I want to go to medical school and I'd love to interview you and shadow you and, and just really see what it's like to, to go to medical school. And I did that one day and we sat down for breakfast that morning and he said, my job is to convince you not to go to medical school <laughs> um, because his rationale was, if you're asking me if I should go to medical school, then you shouldn't. Right. Um, and that, that was his, his way of, of thinking about it. And so, you know, now I'm sitting on a, on a bachelor's degree, uh, in biology, and I wasn't really sure what to do. So I ended up, uh, you know, again, being interested in how things are built and being interested in, in genetics. Uh, I ended up at, again, at the University of Pittsburgh uh, in the genetics department. And, and importantly, um, for me, I ended up there because the University of Pittsburgh has a genetics department within the Graduate School of Public Health. Um, so I found that to be really interesting. Most other genetics departments are within their medical schools. Sure. So, um, you know, I'd added a different angle. Uh, I, you know, I fell in love with, with many of the, uh, uh faculty and, and administrators and my, and my classmates. Um, and then that leads me to what I do today, um, where I was in graduate school and I still had, you know, I was getting about halfway through and I was thinking, well, geez, I don't know what to do with this degree. What do I do long-term? Mm -hmm. Um, I was working in a laboratory. I wasn't really loving it. It was just okay. I knew I loved talking about science, but I didn't love spending 13 hours in a laboratory doing an experiment that fails at the 13th hour. <laughs> you know, uh, I, that was that was not really for me. So um, I, I did some research and we were actually uh, the school had required us to do an IDP, an individualized development plan, where we put in our our values and our skills and, and our aspirations. And it comes up with a um, it comes up with a with a job description, the top five jobs, job descriptions. And one of the top ones was what's called a medical science liaison. And it's everything that I love doing. And it's none of the things that I hate doing. So it's <laughs> it's all of the things that I love, which is science communications. It's reading about science. It's learning how those things are broke, how things are built uh, in the human body, essentially, uh, through the instruction manual that is genetics. Um, and so the role of a medical science liaison is I work on behalf of a pharmaceutical company that I mentioned earlier. Um, and our company is working on therapeutics for really rare genetic diseases. Um, and because many of these diseases are so rare and they are genetic, they hired a geneticist like me to go into um, many hospitals and clinics where some of these doctors, they don't think they have very many of these patients that have a rare disease. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's my job to help increase disease awareness. And in many cases, it's, well, maybe you do have patients with this disease. And it sort of um, helps them, you know, think about the disease a little bit more in depth. And then I take some of their insights back to the company to help um, you know, move the company forward so that we can ultimately get uh, drugs potentially approved. Nice. Basically, they're, they're able to, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, sure. broaden their perspective of what the potential issue could be and look at it from a, a wider diagnosis. Yeah, yeah, I, I, think, that's, I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, in some cases... Um, you know, I have uh, some people that I talk to where there's a particular rare genetic disease and they say, you know, I had one lecture on this in medical school. So this is a great refresher. 
Um, and then I, I have some other doctors that who I speak to regularly, who they are the world's leading expert in this rare disease. Uh -huh. um, and so it kind of goes back and forth. And again, sometimes it's me teaching the doctors and sometimes it's the doctors teaching me um, about mm. the diseases so that I can then go back to the company and, and teach the company and, and as you said, know what to look for in some of these sure. disorders. Sure. So going back to your studies, um, mm -hmm. when you were doing your research, lab research, mm -hmm. um, were there any you know, really unique breakthroughs that you discovered? Did you work with a team? Did you work by yourself? Um, can you tell us a little yeah. bit about what that, uh, how that went? Sure. Yeah. So whenever somebody asks me that kind of question, I have to give a shout out to uh, my PI or my primary investigator um, or principal investigator, however you want to uh, abbreviate it. More, more acronyms. You're going to see that a lot in the genetic space. Uh -huh. um, but so the, basically my boss who ran the lab and his name is Dr. Jerry Vockley. He's the chief of medical genetics uh, at the University of Children's Medical, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center Children's Hospital. And um, so I worked with actually, he was a pretty large lab comparatively compared to some other labs. Uh, and he had uh, somewhere between 15 to 20, depending on, um, you know, who was rotating through. And we had visiting scholars from other countries, uh, but about 15 to 20 employees, which is actually quite a bit. Um, and so these colleagues, like I said, they, they were visiting scholars from all over the world. I, I had uh, co-workers from Japan and, uh, and Brazil and India and China. Um, and so, you know, it was a really uh, large, really dynamic team with a lot of different backgrounds and skill sets. So um, my uh, research focused on uh, the mitochondria. So um, as many people who took a biology 101 class know that the, bio that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, it creates energy for the rest of the cell. And one of the ways it does that is it breaks down uh, fatty acids, it, break down, it breaks down fats, it breaks down um, proteins. And, and that was what I particularly studied where uh, how do the mitochondria break down proteins in order to increase cellular energy? And uh, my work focused more on a very specific subset. So we're getting even smaller and smaller and smaller, uh, a very specific subset of those proteins um, called the branched chain amino acids. Uh, so bodybuilders know uh, what branched chain amino acids are. They're, they're involved, again, in energy production. Um, and so disorders of the branched chain amino acids are called organic acidurias. And so a lot of times treatments for these organic acidurias, you have to treat patients who have some sort of disorder in how those proteins are broken down. You treat them by um, restricting certain amino acids. You restrict in the diet those branch chain amino acids. Sure. Um, and what that ends up doing in the long term is it creates really expensive formula for babies um, who are, you know, screened at birth for some of these rare genetic disorders. Um, they, they find that they have one and now the, the family has to, um, you know, again, purchase these really expensive formulas for this baby to thrive. And so one of the things that I done was one of the particular organic acidurias um, known as propionic acidemia. Um, I found that they were previously restricting four or five amino acids. And some of my work showed that, and, and one of the, the biggest breakthroughs from my research showed that we may only have to restrict one or two of those amino acids instead of four or five, and then hopefully therefore making it a more reliable therapeutic uh, for these children moving forward. Uh -huh. And did you work with cell tissue? I was uh, lucky enough to work with cell tissue as opposed to working with a mouse model. Right. Um, every friend and, and, my, and my brother who, who you've had on yes. this podcast, I'm sure. That would uh, Eagle be Eye, Dan McCallie. That would be yes. Dan McCallie. I'm sure <laughs> avid listeners of your podcast will note uh, not only the same last name, but also that we have very similar voices and speech patterns. Sure. But um, yeah, so he had to work with a mouse model, that poor sucker. Uh, mouse mice are just a much more finicky. You've got to go in and feed them every day. Um, you know, whereas a cellular tissue model, um, you can put your cells in, a, in an incubator and leave them for two days. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I can take my weekends and I'll, all I have to do is just change some liquid with a pipette every other day. Um, so it was, it was certainly to, easier. I'd have to babysit a mouse. Exactly. And is, that you know, doing so? is, that usually, is that usually like, like what you use one or the other? Um, no, it's, 
it's not usually one or the other. So there are lots of different um, uh, model organisms that people use. Um, I had a, a professor who was one of the world's leading experts in a particular rare disorder who was using a zebrafish model. And oh, really? Yeah, so it's these little, itty bitty, tiny fish sure. um, that people use. And so, I mean, I think people think of lab rats or guinea pigs as sort of the the main uh, uh, model yeah. organism. A little, little closer to a mammal, you would think there's you know, more blood connection sure. and cell connection. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, people use fruit flies um, and, and people use those zebrafish, I think, because right. of their simplicity. So they're mm-hmm. so small and they have you know, very few things. Um, in, in, for example, the, the zebrafish has, uh, one tiny little nephron, which is the single filtering unit of your kidney. So we have millions of them in our kidneys and it only has one. So it's really good at studying at a really small level, what, you know, what can happen, um, and applying that, but then it goes the other way, right? So I've had professors who do studies on, uh, for some reason, the scientific community calls non-human primates. Um, and so they study on baboons and, and monkeys. And I had a professor once who uh, was studying drug addiction therapies. And he, so it was his job to get monkeys high, uh, which, wow. is, <laughs> which is just fascinating to me. Yeah, that can go in a lot of different directions. It sure can, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe, I could, maybe I need a good monkey to sit next to. <laughs> <laughs> Not to, uh, to, to go too far down that path, but uh, just out of uh, fascinating interest, I recently saw a post on dolphins playing with puffer fish. And, you oh, know, yeah. puffer fish, they expand in order to right. protect themselves against uh, uh, predators. The, uh, as it expands, the, it uh, em- em- uh, emits a uh, poisonous toxin right. to, to its predators, but the dolphins actually get high off of that. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dolphins are, are smart, are smart animals. They know what they're doing out there. (laughs) Uh, so getting back to genetics and and why we are here and, uh, and Parkinson's and, and neurological, um, disorders, is there not definitively, um, because science is a series of testing and studying and formulating hypotheses and, and going back again and, and looking at things and, I think we'll get a, a little later on into some broader uh, genetical questions, um, but specifically okay. looking at Parkinson's. Um, mm-hmm. Is there something in the cell tissue, in, in the genetic makeup in, of somebody that can have a, a, maybe call it a predisposition to neurological issues as they get older? Sure, yeah. You know, there's... Um there's a, and again, I, th- I think uh, I'll sound like a broken record when I say that there's probably several answers to that question. And, you know, what first comes to mind is, is within Parkinson's disease. So I did a little bit of research. Um, I'm not, you know, I didn't do, as I mentioned, I didn't do my, my thesis on Parkinson's, but I did a little bit of online poking around at some of the, the genetics websites that I'm familiar with. Um, and looking into Parkinson's disease in general. And, and I think something that I've also heard uh, reflected on your podcast and at least the first couple of episodes that I was able to listen to. And thank um, you, by the way, for listening. Of course. Yeah, no. Yeah. Hey, you've got a new fan. I, lo- I love your, your theme song. I love the guests that you've had on. So it's, it's been great. Um, yeah. But, you know, one of, the, one of the themes that comes up in your guys' podcast and from some of these experts is that there are several, at least seemingly several causes uh, of Parkinson's and, and Parkinson's disease and, and Parkinsonism is more of a spectrum of uh, what we call phenotypes or, you know, what your genes are actually showing. So you having black hair versus me having brown hair, that's a phenotype. I have a brown hair phenotype. You have a black hair phenotype. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, there, are, there seems to be those several causes, like I said, and, and from what I've, I've, I've looked into is that there are a handful of genes um, that if they contain a variant um, within those genes, they cause traditionally uh, familial Parkinson's disease. Um, and then there are a few genes as well. So there are maybe somewhere in the range of five to 10 genes that are known to cause familial uh, Parkinson's disease. And, and in fact, some of those variants uh, within those genes uh, have also been seen in some uh, uh, sporadic patients, meaning that they're the first pers- person in their family um, to have Parkinson's, for example. 
Um, and then on top of that, there's another 10 to 15 genes, meaning a total of around 25, I think 26 genes. Um, but those additional 10 to 15 genes, uh, again, if containing a pathogenic variant, they're hypothesized to, ca to cause Parkinson's disease. So there's still a lot of research being done on those. And that's the BRCA um, genes too? The BRCA gene? Yeah, so that's another great example, right? So, um, you know, I'm not sure how BRCA um, would you know, interplay with Parkinson's, if at all. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, if you want to look at genetic diagnostics um, as a whole, you can look at, at uh, uh, the BRCA genes where, you know, having a variant on BRCA1 or BRCA2 is a cause of uh, breast cancer. Right. Yeah, I, I, have a family, I have a family history of, um, of all that. So here I, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at at uh other things uh so i i used to love in in you know i guess it was you know ninth grade biology um putting the the a's and the x's and the y's together and yep large k a capital versus lowercase and and <laughs> what the probabilities of the offspring are, are going to be um, sure so let me just throw a few different things at you i i you're, you know, we always hear things like, you know, this is my body type. This is what I'm predisposed to. Um, there are advancements, let's call them, new discoveries uh, mm -hmm. that do enable people to change many things about themselves. How about steroids? Um, somebody is my build. I've never been able to put on weight. Uh, I guess I'm very fortunate in that respect. Uh, COVID <laughs> did a little bit of a number on me, but I'm kind of back to my pre-COVID weight now. Um, when someone changes their body type, are they messing with their DNA? Is there a possibility that an offspring could have a different makeup as a, as a result of someone taking a steroid? And I'm sure. not by steroid, I don't mean, um, yeah, I mean, Right. Joe Piscopo like or, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I don't think that I can answer the question based around steroids. Um, but I think perhaps a more classic example might be something uh, based around smoking, um, you know, and, and the way that that smoking alters your DNA, so to speak, is it essentially turns certain genes on and off. And one of the major factors when it comes to smoking and why it's such a cause of of lung cancer is that it turns off tumor suppressor genes. So you there so it's sort of a double negative. Um, but, you know, so therefore, that's why you get these these tumors, because that's just a, a cause of, of the smoking. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm sure that there likely are some some uh, instances where, you know, doing something to your body, whether it be through uh, diet, exercise, smoking, um, you know, uh, alcohol, um, you name it, that it can have some effect on your offspring. Um, but you know, I can't speak about, speak on that with any real certainty. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure it does happen, but you know, I, I can't say yes or no definitively. Sure. How so it's, I it's almost like when I was, when I was in graduate school, there was, you know, the old way of thinking about genetics is, is like, if you cut off your finger, your child's not going to be born with nine fingers. <laughs> so, so I think for the large part that it's not really the case, but I'm sure there's always an, ex uh, uh, an exception that proves the rule. Sure. Uh, Hal and I have a uh, one of our lifelong friends. Um, uh, Hal, I don't know if you remember this, but growing up, we used to hypothesize about one of our friends who had uh, kind of changed his his body type. He went from thinner uh, to more muscular, more active, became very more sports involved. And we used to question, like, did he actually change the likelihood of of what his children may end up uh, being physically like and i remember he, that he has uh, one of each a boy and a girl and um his son is is extremely active works out like a fiend uh, has put on a ton of muscle um and there's probably well, two questions in there one is if the father was so con um you know, focused on working out and, and physical fitness, um, did he just, you know, uh, you know, pass that on as just as a passion that he had that the son picked up on? Um, or did he 
at some point say, you know, here's my body type that I'm now passing on to you instead of the right. previous one. Sure. So I, I think the answer is likely a little bit of both. Um, you know, and I, I obviously I can't see this person's individual genetics and I'd have to look into their, you know, what's inherited from the mother and the father and that kind sure. of thing. Um, but, you know, there are certain genes that are involved with uh, muscle building and, um, you know, uh, uh, fat catabolism or breaking down of those fats. Um, and some people just genetically, they have more or less of each ones of those genes. I know I did a 23 in me somewhat recently and it said, you could be a bodybuilder if you wanted to. And I'm like, I'm like you, Frank, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a scrawny dude. And I'm like, I don't think that I could actually be a bodybuilder, but maybe if I had, you know, a father in this example who, um, was really passionate about gaining muscle and about putting on pounds and about really working out, then it comes back to that nature versus nurture. So, right. um, yeah. I don't think that the very fact, especially if he worked out using only diet and exercise, my guess with 99.99% certainty would be that he didn't then pass on his body type after the fact he wouldn't then have a child. If he had had the child before he started building muscle, sure. um, the, the the child would still be statistically right. and genetically the same, I, I would That's, imagine. Yeah, that was my expectation, of course. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take another jump uh, and talk sure. about um, what we're going through uh, in, in the COVID world. There are a lot of side effects of COVID, um, whether you're healthy or not healthy, uh, and they are physical and mental. This is a behavioral thing in in the mental case. Um, is that something that there is a likelihood that if a parent or both parents in, in some cases are, you know, overly worried about um, getting COVID, about uh, being in contact with people. And even let's say the child's not living in the same house as them and doesn't actively participate in the dialogue about that. Would they be of the same mindset or is that something that is more influenced by the people that they interact with on a more regular basis. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's a good question and, and it's a tough question. Um, and, and part of me doesn't really want to answer that because, um, you know, when it comes to COVID it's, it's one of those topics that one of the things they teach you in graduate school is, is to say, I don't know with some frequency and just leave it at that or, or defer to the expert um, so when it comes to COVID, um, I think with so much misinformation out there about COVID-19 um, and the ramifications of, of the disease, you know, I, I, I don't know that I want to comment on, on, on X, Y, or Z when it, when it comes to, to COVID. And, and I think to, you know, maybe circle back and touch on your question a little bit, I think there hasn't really been a ton of long-term studies and because it's only been around for two years, right, sure. um, about you know, again, is COVID going to affect your genetics uh, down the line? I'm not, uh, again, I'm not really going to comment on that. Um, but, you know, it's still early. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of a lot of those answers when it comes to COVID still remains to be seen. Sure. And, and we certainly and, and I was trying to avoid the how will COVID affect your your DNA and your body sure. and more of, of the mental mind, the mindset. Sure. Toward it. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, if certainly, you, we, we, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, um, we, we see cases where people have, you know, chronic issues um, for, so at this point, the duration of, of COVID for a couple of years of lung issues and things like that. And yeah, who knows what the, the long-term effects of that are going to be to their offspring. Yeah. And, and you know, I mean, I, I think if you put COVID aside um, and you say that there is uh, a lot of, you know, let's say COVID causes depression. Well, depression in and of itself has its own effects on the body, mm -hmm. um, you know, right. long-term effects on the body, things like weight gain and uh, memory loss are, are some of the uh, key, um, you know, things to consider when it comes to depression. So, you know, I think you can put those things aside, but again, it's, is, it's that question of if you cut off a finger, does that mean that your child's going to have nine fingers? Um, so, you know, <laughs> if, if a parent becomes anxious or depressed because of a global pandemic, will their child be predisposed to anxiety or depression? You know, I don't think it's because of the pandemic. It's because of their underlying genes. Mm -hmm. oh, okay.
So with depression uh, being sure. a, a byproduct of COVID, a um, kind of connects to uh, we had asked this question of one of the neurologists that we had interviewed, and and also um, the uh, MSW a social worker that we had interviewed, and they both used that example of mm. depression. And you know, depression is compounded by COVID and someone who already has issues with depression is going to find them further um, exasperated and, and vice versa. You know, if you if you have depression issues and then you know, COVID hits, uh, it, it's a, that double whammy sure. um, and you know, making that uh, connection or, or very loose thread to uh, then no pun intended to a DNA thread. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. um, it uh, you know further you know compounds that in someone who could conceivably be genetically predisposed to worrying about things and being depressed over things. Um, you know, it, it was again further uh, complicated and 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 uh, had that pushed a little beyond where the normal comfort level would be with COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I just, I guess just to build on that, um, you know, all of this comes down to, well, what might be better being talked about by a ner by a neurologist or a neuroscientist, but from a genetic standpoint, you know, some people have just minor changes in their DNA where, you know, maybe they have more dopamine that gets fired in their neurons versus others who have less dopamine. And, and it could be just very slightly, but that relates to you know, downstream or something caused by like a global pandemic can lead to an, an exacerbation of the stress at a cellular level, which leads to stress throughout the body. So, um, you know, there's those minor changes that, that are within your DNA that, that are quite natural. You know, I mean, we, we all three of us here on this call have different genetic makeup, um, you know, our hair color, eye color, that kind of thing, but that can go all the way down to a cellular level as well. Sure, sure. And and as you did um, point out, um, your DNA is a combination of a father's genes and a mother's genes that are passed yep. on to you. Um, following along that, Hal and I made a list of uh, a few different, being that we're in that medical realm, um, things that fall on the medical side versus the uh, the physical uh, traits. Sure. You know, what we, we've talked about uh, and everyone understands the connection between parents' genes and how you might have brown eyes or blue eyes or brown hair mm -hmm. or blonde hair, be short, mm -hmm. tall, heavy. Um, I'm going to ask you about a few uh, other closer, closely medical-related things. Okay. So um, Dan McCauley uh, gave us an episode on uh, substance. <laughs> <laughs> Name rings a bell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, on substance abuse disorder. Um, and uh, as you know, that's what he's uh, he's studying for his doctoral. Can somebody be genetically predisposed to addiction and substance abuse disorders? Sure. So I think, you know, similar to the example that I used last time, right, um, where perhaps somebody has just a slightly decreased level of dopamine where they can live a, a normal life and, and that dopamine is is one of the key, you know, uh, pleasure sensors, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. throughout your body, right? So, you know, if you have that slightly reduced, maybe you don't feel things a certain way, and then therefore you rely on substances. But then, you know, that is a big leap to go from genetics to having substance abuse. So I'm sure that there are genes that they've studied that they say, hey, if you have this um, you know, variation in a gene, you may be more likely to develop a substance abuse disorder later in life. Um, but when it comes to substance abuse, it's so dependent on, um, you know, that nature versus nurture, right? Yeah. Um, you know, not all of it's going to be genetics when it comes down to a substance abuse disorder. Um, you know, I'm sure that there are some people who have those, um, you know, those slightly decreased levels of, of their firing neurons, um, but they've never picked up a substance in their entire life. Um, and it's just perhaps because of the way that they were raised. So, sure. you know, it's hard to draw a, a hard line on, on that topic. Yeah, I would think it would be, but, um, I mean, you know, you've got, you know, you like alcoholics, of course, you know, mm -hmm. and they're pretty, you know, they're looking in a bad direction if they take the wrong things. Um, you've got, uh, you know, the drug addicts. So it's, um, it's just a tough call. 
it really is a tough quote, but I, I would think, you know, you know, to predispose to be, to be, um, that they have a weakness for, for liquor or alcohol or whatever. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we probably all have friends who they just absolutely hate the taste of alcohol. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that in and of itself might not drive somebody to it. Um, you know, let's say that there is this mythical gene that, 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 has you had a predisposition for substance abuse? And again, I, I don't know these answers off the top of my head, whether they've done these this research or not. But, you know, let's say, for example, that there is this gene. Um, well, somebody could have another gene in their genome that says that they don't like the taste. So they've just never right. done it. So sure. um, there's all kinds of answers, I think, to that question. And I think, again, it comes back to, I think, what you're alluding at, Frank, which is that nature versus nurture aspect mm-hmm. of, of health in general. I think a couple other things I think that are going to all fall into that same category, not okay. necessarily um, nurture nature, maybe more um, lifestyle and how you choose to take care of yourself and bring on things that that could be, you know, potential um, time bombs for you. Um, diabetes. Sure. I mean, you know, there's there's a huge genetic component um, to diabetes and, and diabetes is not one of those what we call simple genetic traits or simple genetic diseases or or what's also known as Mendelian genetic diseases um, named after Gregor Mendel, the person who was thought to have discovered the whole idea of genetics um, yeah. back in the 1800s, I believe. That's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, he did studies to look at single genes and, and he did it in plants. Are the leaves big? Are the leaves small? Are their seeds big or small? Are they green or are they you know, brown. Um, so very simple traits like that. And diabetes is not one of those simple traits, meaning that there are likely several genes at play um, that come, you know, all cert- all sorts of areas from your, from your entire genome, all 3 billion base pairs, all 25,000 genes that you've got in every, in all 10 billion cells of your body. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and again, and again, you know, half of that comes from your mom and half of that comes from your dad. And there are likely, um, environmental uh, uh, factors as well. Obviously, something like smoking um, and diet would be a big uh, implication for, for someone who's right. predisposed sure. to diabetes. Sure. And, and high blood pressure, of course, falls in that mm-hmm. same, same realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, high cholesterol? Yeah, you know, cholesterol is not one I know a lot about, but I'm sure it's very similar in, in the sense that I'm sure that there are genes that predispose you to a higher cholesterol. Um, but there might, you know, and when I say there are genes that do this, what I mean is that there are variations in genes, right? We all have the same genes. Somebody doesn't have a high cholesterol gene and somebody doesn't have a high cholesterol gene. We all have a cholesterol gene. Mm-hmm. And again, this is just an example. You know, there might be a cholesterol geneticist listening right now and saying like, you're getting it completely wrong, but this is just <laughs> an example. You know, we all have the same genes, but what variations in those genes do we have? Are they, you know, some people have positive variations. Some people have negative. Some people have variations that don't make any change at all. Mm-hmm. Um, next one I was going to ask about, um, I had a grandmother who her fingers looked like, I can't even describe the twistiness of, of the, it's almost like a scalloped edge of something and taking two scalloped edges and fitting them together. And if you looked at her hand, all you would see would be curves where the, the finger lines join each other. Uh, Mm. that, that's how severe her arthritis was. Oh, I see. Um, I had broken all my fingers in various sporting events. Uh, so minor curved, I think, for a different reason. I, I don't know to what degree I've inherited that uh, arthritis uh, potential. And, and as I get older, how much worse that could get. Um, I took guitar up in my 20s from a my teacher was a woman who also didn't take it up till she was an adult. And she started teaching herself guitar for therapy for her arthritis and to build strength in those fingers and to keep them active. Sure. Um, so arthritis, again, is you know, one that well, probably... I think I recall, and Steve, you would know this, like when your body's forming in the womb, I think one of the last things to do is, is the, um, the hands and, and the feet, you know, from what I recall from biology way back when. Mm-hmm. And they... Um, you know, and some some people don't don't form, you know, totally, and they have webs there. Is that correct? 
Uh, you know, again, I, I don't know the answer off of the top of my head. Um, so I don't know that I can give you a, either a yes or a no answer. That sounds correct to me, but I, I don't think that I'll I should that. comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, I think we so, need a neonatologist for one of our next Exactly. Episodes. Yeah. So, you know, I think if someone were to develop webbed fingers or webbed toes, I'm sure that that would be something that would be addressed early in life as opposed to, um, you know, something that you might address later in life, like, like arthritis. And again, mm -hmm. I, I'm sure that there are certain variations in certain genes, which predisposes someone to something like arthritis. Um, and, you know, it's, it's sort of an interesting dynamic where there are certain things where, you know, moving your hands and building strength in your hands might prevent arthritis, exactly. but then, you know, there are other sorts of disorders where maybe moving and and building strength in a certain area is actually detrimental to your long-term health. Right, right. Um, Carpal and, you know, tunnel some, being an example of that. Right, yeah. right. Or, or, you know, I, I've heard a lot of, um, you know, exercise therapists might, might not be so inclined to suggest something like uh, CrossFit training because it's so hard on your joints, you know, you're mm -hmm. building up that strength, right. but it might only be temporary. And a lot of these things need long-term studies that, and again, there might already be those long-term studies and I just don't know them off of the top of my head. Mm -hmm. Um, one last one I was going to ask about is colorblindness. Colorblindness, I know a little bit more about. So colorblindness is, is what we call an X-linked trait. So we have um, 22 chromosomes, um, and those are what we call um, autosomal, meaning that everybody has two copies, one from your mom, one from your dad, mm -hmm. right? And they control most things in the human body. However, what separates men from women are the X chromosomes. So women have two X chromosomes and they're not numbered, they're labeled as X. And men have one X and one Y chromosome. Right. So you can inherit a variation on colorblindness on your X chromosome. That's how you would inherit it, either from your mother or actually, well, if you're a male, you'll, you'll inherit that from your mother. Um, but women have two, right? So they have two copies. So they are less likely to display colorblindness because mm -hmm. men only have one shot. And if you get that one shot wrong, essentially you're going to be colorblind. Um, whereas women, they have two shots. Uh, so, you know, you can inherit a colorblind trait from, from your uh, mother or father, if you're a woman. Um, but the other one could be totally uh, for lack of a better term, normal so that you don't develop colorblindness. Mm -hmm. um, or you can, you can inherit both. And then if you have both, then you might display colorblindness. Right. Um, and, and I had read that, uh, it is much more common in males than females. So that, and that's that why yep. that. Yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. By the way, Frank, I like your red shirt tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Frank's wearing a gray shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, as I've said, I, I've always been fascinated by, uh, by the genetic link. I, you know, we see so many examples of athletes, um, where, mm -hmm. you know, the offspring, professional, the, the, um, there's some families where the, the third generation have played uh, professional sports. You look sure. at the, uh, the Boone family, where Ray Boone was a, yeah. was a player, and then Bob Boone, and then his sons, um, Brett and Aaron. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the one example that I've always looked at, um, and again, there, there are two makeups of of this um of your physicality uh, coming from the mother and the father and there's somewhere there's a great athlete and then the kids you know may or may not um mickey mantle's father was a phenomenal baseball player never had the opportunity to play pro he was a legend in the the sandlot uh, oklahoma lakes and mickey mantle of course was an incredible five-tool player um switch hitter could do it all if he didn't have knee and drinking issues he may have you know, gone much further in the record books he had four sons um one died young of hodgkins another one died they were uh amateur baseball players never made it to the pros uh it, just showing that just because you have that physical potential um you know there's still something more that whether it's the push whether right you know who knows yeah. You know, and, and some of that could be attributed to, it could be all kinds of things, but from a genetic standpoint, you know, maybe perhaps uh, Mickey Mantle's uh, a wife or spouse or, or whoever the, the mother of those children are, maybe she has basically the opposite 
right. of whatever his genetic makeup is right. um, so that maybe they just sort of evened out and, and, you know, maybe they had the drive to play baseball like their father and their father's father, but they never re- quite got there because they just didn't have the same reaction times and they didn't sure. have the same, uh, you know, Power, muscle tone. Strength, speed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not tall and she's zero. So the kids are two and a half. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was an article in, on about Brian Trotter from the Eagles, a little linebacker from a few years ago. Jermaine. An article about him and uh, his kids. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was very interesting today, you know, how, how his kids are doing well. And, and you know, they got the football knowledge and his father's putting it's like the football IQ in it. In, in uh-huh. it. You know, so it was very interesting. Yeah. And there's different sports. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, off the top of my head, um, uh, Calvin Hill was a, uh, was a great football player. His son, right. Grant, Grant Hill, played basketball. One of the, one of the best ever if he didn't get injured. Um, and, yeah, yeah, both excellent athletes. Yeah. Yeah, the injuries are, are tough. Yeah, and again, there there's probably a gene or, or several genes involved with pattern recognition, and that is what makes a, a football player or a basketball player perhaps better than others is that they have what we call a gain-of-function variation um, in, in one of those genes. And I, I, again, this is all hypothetical and, and mythical, you know, I don't want to mislead some of your audience to say that, well, there's a, there's a, there's a pattern recognition gene. Why don't I just go, you know, inject myself with that or something, you know, because that's uh, that kind of thing doesn't quite exist. Um, you know, it's all just again, off the top of my head and, and sort of just spitballing, but that's just to give you an example of how, how genetics works. Well, what's interesting also is, um, Take um, MB on, on the Sixers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great player, amazing player. And he's, he didn't play basketball until he graduated high school. Right. Great right. athlete. He, he was able to take his skills at soccer and, right. and other things and, and focus on basketball and learn those tricks. I, I never saw such skills. a natural fit for for, um, for basketball, though. I mean, he just has the IQ and everything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like you say, how does he, he do that? Because he didn't play it. You yeah. know, it, it, it's, it's just very interesting, something like that. Yeah, Helps absolutely. being seven foot two, I'm sure. Yeah, that's also <laughs> a benefit. <laughs> um, Steve, uh, gonna, um, before we, we end, um, mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up uh, podcasting. Um, mm. we, we're, uh, Hal and I are new to this, and we had to learn from somewhere. Um, you, uh, you and Hannah have a, a very interesting podcast that uh, we've listened to, I've, um, been able to take, uh, a lot of things from that, uh, from a perspective of formatting, mm. um, researching and, and how, how and I felt, you know, this kind of should, should go live as, as well as your, your, um, input and coaching on getting to that live point as well. Um, can you tell us a little about your podcast? Give you a plug here. Sure. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, I mean, I was going to say something along the lines of like, well, maybe we don't need to plug it because it's just such a silly topic. And I'll explain what that is in a second. <laughs> but I, I'm thinking now and, and before I lose this thought, you know, I guess if our silly podcast inspired you guys to create a podcast that has a really great cause behind it, then maybe it was worth it. Um, So so our podcast is called uh, Through Nick and Thin. It is a Nicolas Cage podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Nick is spelled N-I-C. That's how he spells it. So it's Through Nick and Thin. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts and we're on Spotify as well. Um, So we watch, recap, and review all 102 of Nicolas Cage's movies to date. Wow. Chronologically. Actually, chronologically, yes. And so we actually just caught up recently. And so I, I, I had it up on my other computer here. I, was, I happened to look at, look at it before we started talking tonight. And we have about 4,500 total downloads wow. um, from pretty, I think, every continent. And, and so similarly, you know, people have reached out from our really ridiculous topic. I can't stress that enough. <laughs> You know, they've said, hey, it's given me something to listen to while I do homework or, you know, while I work. And, and, you know, it's a really personal thing that you guys are now doing and and something that we did. Because if you think about it, people are putting your voices directly into their ears while they do something. um, And they're focusing on the words that you say for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour um, on a weekly basis. And, And so it's a really personal thing. So um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to help you guys. Um, I think you guys are on a really great trajectory. Uh, rookie mistakes aside, hey, I was saying, I think before we started recording, <laughs> Hannah and I made a ton of rookie mistakes. So um, it comes with time and it comes with practice. But, um, you know, like I said, your guys podcast is great. You've got great guests. 
Um, I love the theme song. So keep, <laughs> keep, keep, them, keep them coming. And, and you guys are doing a great job. I, I appreciate it. Appreciate that. Um, I, I'm supposed to have a full song actually after the episode of pre um, was was prior to yours uh, at the end of Dan's uh, on a song that dealt with substance abuse. As a matter of fact. Oh wow! Um, but uh, again, some some tech uh, recording glitches. Uh, not not glitches. Just uh, I the drumming for it is quite intricate, and um, mm. I have a friend who usually plays drums on it. Um, I had recorded it as I recorded all my stuff during the pandemic where you deal with a little machine and it's a little limiting, uh, particularly on drum patterns. Mm. Um, so having uh, Glenn on the drums um, was the go-to as a solution for this. Um, just we were not able to get together in time to get the recording completed and put it up there. So a little bit of editing and I pulled that out how um, when, when you listen to Dan's episode, you'll hear a couple things that were missing from our original recording of that. Uh, but maybe we get a chance to revisit that in the future or some sure. other songs. And I've got a bunch of them out there. So. Yeah, that'll sure. be uh, that'll be my uh, my uh, icing for for this. There you um, go. Ha- How's the one who's willing to share people drilling into his head? Uh, so I certainly <laughs> can, can share what's going on yeah. inside of mine. You I'll can put, put together a drum riff. <laughs> Steve, thank you again. Thank um, you very much, it's, Steve. Yeah, yeah, valuable information. Um, a little different than than what we've been able to offer the guests so far. Um, someone did ask me recently how you know these all fit. Just, you know, for the most part, you're it's about Parkinson's. People mm-hmm. are listening to hear things about Parkinson's. Um, we're making the connection to it, but we also did say you know in the beginning we we do want to broaden and go into other medical. Um, issues and and questions uh, just to explore. Um, yeah. it, it comes back to Parkinson's. We're, that's that's what our show is, and that's what we'll keep working toward. Uh, but even as we go into next season, where we offer um, lifestyle upper options, I, I guess is the word I'm looking for uh, regarding exercise, regarding uh, configuring the space in your home, your finances. Uh, bunch of different things um where we get a little out of the medical treatment and more anywhere into we the, can find the care. parkinson's yeah and even even in the lifestyle we'll go to areas that are outside of parkinson's but you know exercise is yeah. universal but we'll bring that back every time we can yeah i mean um you know i mean we, we, we've gone out of the realm pretty much i mean you could say i mean we, we had the financial guy who, well, yeah, that, that in our next episode. Yep, but but there, you know, session. they have a slight, slight, slight little narrow line to Parkinson's. Exactly, and exactly. we find it, they got it. Yep. All right, Steve. Thank Steve. you again. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me, pleasure. guys. Sure, always a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks. guys. Take care. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. Hey, Al. Hi, Frank. How are you today? I'm good. So how do you enjoy that interview? Uh, you know, Steve's a good guy. Um, and he sure is, he knows a heck of a lot of things. Um, certainly, I don't, I don't know. Um, he, yeah, he, he did a good, good interview. You did a good interview with him, and um, got some good knowledge. And I think it's going to be, um, it's going to go, go far. Indeed. Um, he, uh, one, we talk, I talked you know, beforehand about some of the connections that his uh, things in common that his interview will have with some of the other interviews. Yes. Um, I also noticed something in common that Steve has with you, which is the uh, gallbladder. Uh, surgery. Yeah, I took mine out. Yeah, you know, just added to, to the list. I just they were keep a jar open and just pop up other <laughs> organs in there for me. And like Steve, you were neither forty fat uh, or female yeah, I wasn't. The, or, I wasn't or the four fives or the five fives. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, the fair. Yeah, the, that's the one that you yeah. really have in common. That's about it. Yeah. Um, he did research on mitochondria, how to break down protein. Also, the uh, effect on your offspring um where you focused a lot on how what you put into your body affects you right one more thing to consider someone who you know everyone is knowledgeable of situations of babies being born with a say drug addiction because their mother right. in, in, when while she was pregnant was 
uh, consuming drugs. But you take it a step further. Yeah, his, you know, 10 years before that, what she put in her body, or he, in the father's right. case, could have an effect on what the offspring will. Yeah, it's very, it, it, it's, it's very interesting, all the genes, the science of genes. Steve also um, did make very clear that it's not a definitive answer, um, and sometimes the answer is I don't know, or possibly, or possibly not, and you know, things we can only... Yeah, he did that well. <laughs> um, but it was great to... Uh, to be able to to understand more about <clears throat> how your your genes the, the make up who we are yeah yeah make yeah. up who we are and make up who is coming after us or a portion of yeah who is absolutely after us. absolutely yeah. awesome um, and that was episode nine as we said beforehand uh, episode ten will be the one to wrap up season one which will mm -hmm. be Brian and Brendan we have to get Brendan's studio for that. Um, I don't know whether this part also will, will get put in there. Um, I had mentioned in the previous episode in Dan uh, regarding addiction, now I want to do, put an original song at the end uh, called Without the Power to Change, which I'm still uh, trying to get a good recording of the um, limitations that I have on, on my software for drums and my limitations as a drummer. Um, don't give me what I need in there. So I've been working with a good friend who's, Getting the drum track down, but uh, don't have it yet to splice it together with the other stuff. Uh, if it does get done um, real soon, I'll put it maybe after this episode before it's out, maybe after the next episode before it's out, or maybe be able to go back, repost uh, the one with Dan's, and just remind we'll, people. We'll get in, and yeah. Um, yeah, it might, it might push me to um, get a get a bass string, and there um, you go. And, and I have I, a bass line for that one. I'll prepare for you. Oh, excellent, yeah. excellent. So that was episode nine. That was uh, Steve McCallie, uh for the Woods Shake and Parkinson's podcast uh, discussing genetics and genetic links to neurological diseases, uh, the probabilities of such. And um, we're so thrilled to be able to have Steve's information to pass on to our audience and uh, everyone out there. I got to tell you, Frank, you're doing an excellent job. Thanks. So it's a uh, labor of love, as they say. Yes, and, yes. Uh, it, it, it is enjoyable. Yeah. Glad to be able to do this. That's great. All right, so everybody hang in there. Um, we have holidays coming up pretty soon. I try to keep the weight off, as I will be trying to do as well. And uh, one thing I did want to bring up, um, back to the sports world, which if you've listened by this point, you know that Hal and I are avid sports fans, avid Philadelphia sports fans, and, and live and die with the four teams here and we got a situation with our basketball team right now. Yes. I watched the home opener last night between the Sixers and the Nets. Yeah, um, I missed it. I was going to watch Sixers it. Sixers looked good. They were moving the ball around. They they weren't getting the penetration that uh, that you get from a 6'10", 240-pound point guard who yes. can get to the rim at ease and then decide that I don't want to put the ball in the basket. I'm going to pass to someone else, which I don't miss that part of his game. Um but I, I, they didn't penetrate well. Fortunately, they were lights out from three. They moved the ball around, and guys were hitting. Until the last five, seven minutes of the game, when they could not put the ball in the basket. And you live and die by the three. When you... And as we saw in the playoffs in Atlanta last year, uh, or against Atlanta last year, they let the Nets back in the game, couldn't put it away at the end, the Nets came back and ended up winning. They don't have a closer. They don't have someone who could just shut out and any gap. They don't. It's Embiid, but he got a little banged up. There's concerns now. Yeah, he, he was health. he was iffy before the game. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Um, and then you got Simmons. And Simmons, you know, they said he's um, I'm trying to remember how they put it, but basically, um, you know, I mean, one one of the one of the um one of the breakers saying, yeah, he, he's he's a step above. I mean, he's not a superstar. But he's he's not yeah. too far away. Yeah, he's um, he's an advanced. He's role a difference player. maker. He is a difference maker on defense. Um, he can do a lot of things well, and he's made very clear the things that he can't do well. Uh, yeah. And those things, unfortunately, come back to hurt us in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't the know what we're doing because you're stuck with his contract. Yeah. He's not doing anything with it, and yeah, he wants to go also. But um, yeah. I don't think he's got the motivation to really go in and say, 
you know, I can hit, I can, I can make the shot now. So. Sure. I don't, I don't see him putting the effort into being that player that makes that shot. We see this video he puts out once or twice a year where he's in the gym with yeah, who knows during the offseason, yeah. And this year I wouldn't be surprised if that one day that he was there was the only time he touched a basketball. It would not shock me. Oh, it wouldn't shock way. me at all. I, I think he's got this attitude, like, you know, this is what I do. If I fit in with you, fine. If yeah. I don't, I'll fit in with someone else. Yeah, he likes the lifestyle. He's dated more um, celebrities, and he's made three-point baskets in his NBA career. <laughs> so he's made, like, two? Uh, five, and he's dated six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very disappointing. Very disappointing. Yeah, but we digress. Um that's uh, that's a story for another day, maybe another podcast. Uh, but yeah, we, you never know. We love mixing all this together. Thanks, everyone, and uh, enjoy the holidays. Out. Yep, we'll enjoy the holidays. We'll be uh, another episode out before them, but depending on when you're catching this, and check out what's shaking. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the What's Shaking Parkinson's Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please check us out on Facebook at What's Shaking Parkinson's Podcast. You can also email us at What's Shaking Podcast at protonmail.com.